Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. I am the ancient. I am the land. My beginnings are lost in the darkness of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. I am your host, Sergio. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be joined by Crit this week. He is under the weather, and I am not feeling that great myself. But we will soldier on as, as any number of intrepid heroes that you have created in your campaigns over the years would say, we must fight on, we must, we must attain victory. This is the final part of our Ravenloft series, part four, in which we cover Count Strahd von Zarevich himself, the, the vampire, the, the devil of Barovia. And we're going, to, we're going to look into how he became a, a, how he went from nobleman to to the devil of Barovia, how he went from uh, being a, a hero, a, uh, a worshipped hero of his people, a worshipped war hero of his people, to the to the longest reigning dark lord of all the domains of dread, and and it and like like most tragic tales of time, uh, it has to do with love. It has to do with with that uh, a strange little a little thing called love. So we'll, um, as you as you know from the uh, previous episodes in our series, uh, the Ravenloft, uh, you know Ravenloft and Strahd himself, they they were uh, created by uh, husband and wife team Tracy and Laura Hickman. Uh, basically, uh, it, the the story goes that uh, Tracy was playing the uh, the original Dungeons and Dragons game. And it was just sort of uh, like random dungeon after random dungeon. And then in one in one such dungeon, there was a vampire in it. And he just thought it was kind of, kind of strange that this vampire was just like hanging out in the, like by himself in the middle of this dungeon, you know, with a bunch of other like ghouls and goblins hanging around uh, and other, in other rooms of the dungeon. And so he went home and him and his wife decided to craft a story where the, the, the antagonist himself was a vampire and they modeled it after the the more traditional, you know, uh, vampire uh, like the more traditional vampire tropes. Uh, you know, came directly from the roots of vampire lore. Uh, you know the 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 idea that uh, that so that especially you know uh, so someone in power, especially a, a male in power, would use that power to harm others, especially women. And this is uh, in, in adapting uh, the Ravenloft module to fifth edition in Curse of Strahd. Uh, Tracy Hickman has this to say, vampires have strayed from their original role in cautionary tales, which warned women about monsters and thereby empowered them. Uh, 
Strahd is a classic abusive monster who is, at his root, selfish. The tale is timeless and has nothing to do with some of the recent and harmful, harmful versions of glittering romance that vampires have appeared in. So a little twilight shade being thrown that way. Um, but it's it's very obvious, like, you know, it's they they are they are they know who Strahd is, they know the who the the character they created. They they have no uh there's no ambiguity as to whether or not he uh is uh you know an anti-hero or if there's um like shades of gray in his morality they know for a fact he is he's selfish and he is evil and he will do any and he will harm anybody and do anything in the pursuit of attaining his goals what so what are his goals what what is strad obsessed with well before we get to that how like how, how where, where does Strahd come from where what what are his origins what is what is his story so Count Strahd van uh, von Zarovich, uh, the as we know him, Count Strahd von Zarovich the Eleventh, um, and this is sort of a, a front that he puts up. He actually isn't the Eleventh. Um, he's actually the first. He's the original, but he just pretends to have these descendants of the original Strahd. Like these are the heirs. Like you know, like so they'd want us to think that there have been eleven generations of Strahds. Uh, you know, the first Strahd uh, had a son and named him Strahd to Strahd Jr. SJ, his friends call him. Uh, and then, you know, third Strahd, fourth Strahd. So, uh, and that's, like I said, that's just the front, you know, so uh, to keep uh, the ignorant, unaware that, uh, that he's actually an undead, immortal monster. So either Strahd, the original, or Strahd, the 11th, doesn't matter. It's the same person. It's the same, same, same creature. Uh, so he's born of uh, Berov and Ravinia von Zarovich. And if that's how you get the name Barovia between when you combine Berov and Ravinia. So he's a man of noble birth. Uh, Strahd spent much of his life uh, serving causes of goodness and law. Um, and of course, you know, as, uh, as was the custom he uh, was he joined the military. He, you know, he wanted to learn the ways of battle, the ways of the warrior. And he definitely uh, had put that to good use because right around the time he's 18, 19, 20 years old, his land, you know, the, the original land of Barovia, which. Uh, so the Barovia that we know, the Barovia and Curse of Strahd, the Barovia that is a demiplane of dread, that is a domain of dread is essentially a, a, a evil copy of the original Barovia. Whatever world, whatever plane uh, Strahd is from, there is an original Barovia. And what we see in, in our adventures are simply the, 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 like a dreadful copy of it. So uh, his original, the, his land, the original Barovia, is conquered by a group of people known as the Turks. Um, led by uh, Dudukan or Dorian the Unstoppable. And they, they take over Barovia relatively easy, in fact. Like I said, uh, Strahd's barely into adulthood at this point and uh, you know, doesn't really have the, uh, has the name, but doesn't really have the clout to sort of make decisions. Um, and, you know, just speaking personally, uh, 
you know, I, I, as, as an 18, 19 year old, if, uh, you know, I'm, I'm no, you know, Patrick Swayze, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to red dawn this. If, if people decided to take over, uh, Arlington, Texas, if an opposing force decided to take over. And so I can, you know, I can cut them some slack. Okay. You're just, you know, you're barely, you're barely an adult. You're, you know, barely out of being a kid. You get your land gets taken over. You're, you're probably going to go ahead and, um, you know, step aside, but it's not too long because, you know, he is very intelligent. He is very cunning. He's very shrewd and he quickly takes over the uh, remaining military force that Barovia has. And for the next 27 years, fights the Turks back and slowly but surely reclaims every bit of land, reclaims every bit of his family's ancestral home of Barovia. So nearly three decades he fights. He, you know, and at and not just, you know, uh, not just as a as sort of like, you know, telling people what like commanding forces, he's at the forefront. He is, he is fighting, you know, with his men. In fact, there's, uh, there's one quote that's attributed to Strahd when, you know, the, like the going's getting pretty tough and he could tell the morale of the people of his, of his men is sinking pretty low. And so he tries to rouse them up and he says, for every drop of Turk blood you spill today, Barovia will endure for a year when it is ours again. I will claim 1,000 from my family today. How many will you claim? And so, yeah, so his, so his, his, his soldiers, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, like Braveheart style, like uh, uh, inspiration. And that's kind of like, you know, what, you know, why he becomes such a hero and such a, uh, such a lauded figure in Barovia. And so, you know, the 27 years pass, the almost three decades pass, and Barovia is theirs again. And he's able to invite his remaining family. Unfortunately, his uh, Berev and Ravinia had, had uh, passed away the year prior to him finally, con- you know, uh, finally defeating the Turks. But he's able to invite his, uh, his younger brother, to join him in Barovia and there uh, where he uh, where Strahd himself has been uh, uh, rebuilding uh, Dorian the Unstoppable's castle uh, you know after it was destroyed in battle and renaming it Ravenloft in honor of his of his deceased mother uh, and invites uh, invites uh, Sergei his younger brother to join him and you know sort of like enjoying the 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 fruits of their hard work. However, years of this grueling military service uh, definitely took their toll upon, upon Strahd. And so, you know, he started this, this battle as a young 19-year-old. And by, the, and by the time it's over, he's close to 50. And he feels like he may have squandered his life and especially his youth, you know, he when he invites Sergei, uh, to, you know, into Barovia, he sees that, you know, he sees sort of himself, uh, in, uh, in a different timeline, like the sort of, he sees, you know, what could have been, you know, Sergei, uh, is, is still young, still handsome, uh, you know, maybe not as intelligent, but definitely not as, you know, worn out from, 
30 years of fighting. And so Strahd's, you know, a bit jealous and a bit bitter at, at Sergei, you know, how, how the women still look at him. And in fact, in the novel, I Strahd, he, Strahd and Sergei uh, sort of have a, uh, a friendly duel, you know, with, you know, with, with swords and they're going back and forth and Strahd's inner monologue is thinking that, uh, you know, Sergei on just based on pure strength and youth, if had he the technique, he could easily defeat Strahd, you know, in a dueling contest. And, and he also knows that Sergei is being taught and, based on what the what his instructor has told Strahd, you know, Sergei is a quick study and that, you know, technique that he's missing now, he probably won't be missing in a few months. And so at that point, you know, Strahd, you know, will be a, would be lesser than. And so the, the jealousy and the bitterness begin to boil over even more. And, and so all of this sort of, you know, it, you've, you've got, you've got, a twofold sort of uh, darkness looming over Strahd. The first of which is that he feels that he, you know, he's, he squandered his life, that he's lost his youth. And two, that, you know, his, uh, his younger brother is everything that Strahd can no longer be. And what makes this even worse is that soon after Strahd finds, uh, meets, comes upon a young Barovian woman named Tatiana, and he's absolutely smitten with her. He falls in love with her. She's she's beautiful. She's charming. She's witty. I'm I'm guessing you know there's very little as far as her personality in the in the text, but yeah, you, know, you could assume you know. Uh, but for whatever reason, Strahd's absolutely smitten with Tatiana. Uh, but she rejects him in favor of Sergei. And it's, and it can come as no surprise, Tatiana is age-wise more appropriate for Sergei. Uh, you know, Strahd him, it seems more like, uh, like a father, in fact, to, to Tatiana. Like I said, Strahd is nearing 50, while, you know, Sergei and Tatiana are, are about half that age. And so while, you know, she doesn't, you know, completely, like, she doesn't, like, totally, like, this Strahd, she just kind of refers to him as as brother or elder very respectfully um but she instead you know uh falls in love with sergey and sergey with her you know so so now we've had we have like a third aspect of darkness looming over Strahd. the first of which being the his loss of his his uh presumed loss of of youth and squandered life uh, the fact that the second being is that the that his brother Sergey is will in fact surpass him in just about every way, and the third is you know being rejected by Tatiana in favor of Sergey. So what does Strahd do? So you know, filled with all this anger and all this jealousy and all this uh, all this sadness, uh, and and sort of and he's beginning to he's beginning to grow to hate his younger brother Sergey he seeks out a magical means to restore his youth. And in a moment of desperate frustration, he essentially makes a deal with the metaphorical deal with the devil. 
he goes to the Amber Temple, which in the uh, in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, it's described as once a haven of virtuous wizards, the Amber Temple was long ago corrupted by evil. It was here that Strahd made his pact with the dark powers to become a vampire with the blessing of the Lich Exithanther. So this Amber Temple, the dark powers, which uh, essentially control the domains of dread, they are present in this now corrupted temple. And Strahd travels there and makes a deal, makes a, makes a deal to, to, to restore his youth and to stay young forever. And he has to, he has to sign the deal with blood, not his own blood, however, but the blood of someone else. And when we get back from the break, we'll talk about whose blood was spilled to sign that deal and the ramifications of that. Welcome to the middle of the show where we get the opportunity to thank our patrons, take a look at any miniatures that might be coming out soon or any recent D&D news, as well as take a look at something, uh, take a spotlight look at something from the DMs Guild, some cool fan-created homebrew content. Let's start off by thanking our patrons from Patreon. If you're interested in signing up and if you're interested in, in financially supporting the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Lorecast. We have tiers uh, ranging as low as $5, which will get you ad-free episodes, You'll get episodes a day early. You'll get a sticker pack uh, all the way up to $100, which gets you the opportunity to play D&D with us, the opportunity to have uh, workshops with us where we can help you either uh, build a campaign setting, uh, give you tips on how to DM. Uh, Crit and myself both have years experience in being a dungeon master uh, and then everything in between, you can, uh, the tiers in between will get you bonus episodes or t-shirts or painted miniatures, all sorts of cool stuff. You know, all the money that we get from the Patreon only goes back to make the show bigger and better. In fact, uh, we teased this a couple episodes back, but episode 100, we have a couple of two very big announcements that we're very excited about. And a lot of that was uh, made possible because of the folks on our Patreon. And right now we've got the dog Indy that we want to thank. We want to thank uh, Jocko H, as well as Climbing Zebra, uh, Coffee Husky, Daniel P, Wolf the Sheepdog, Jonathan S, Tex Tinstar, Remington Cloutier, 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 I don't know. Uh, I just know he enjoys very much whenever I try to say his name, probably because I sound ridiculous when I do it. And of course, Lupus Malum, uh, thank you all so much for financially supporting the show. And like I said, if you're interested in doing so, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash DND Lorecast. If uh, you're not in a position where you can do that, uh, we thank you so much for just listening. Uh, and if you want to support the show beyond that, you can leave a glowing review on Apple, uh, on Apple Podcasts, or even on Spotify. You can recommend it to a friend. You can tell um, that clerk at the local comic slash gaming store that you go to about us. Uh, like I said, the, the, more, the more folks that we are able to engage in the community, the better. Uh, you can go to our Discord. We're members of the Robots Radio Network. Uh, we have our own channel on, on that Discord. 
And we're always there. We're always there to talk to people. We're always there to help out with questions, to uh, celebrate, uh, you know, new campaigns starting or, you know, others or other small victories in life. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun community and we'd love for, we'd love for you to be part of it. And we'd love for you to uh, invite, you know, other, other fun people to be a part of it as well. And as far as miniatures goes, I'm going to leave that to crit. That's sort of his thing. I've, I've considered dabbling. I've, I've considered getting into it. I just don't know if I, if I have the time, because if I get into it, I'm going to get into it tough. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, just stick a toe into it. I'm going to want to dive in. So we'll see if I can hold out on that because right now, like just collecting uh, old D and D manuals, uh, like off of eBay and off of antique stores, um, this takes, takes a lot of time and money already, but, uh, yeah. So as far as the DMs guild corner of the week, uh, speaking of our, um, our discord, speaking of the dungeons and dragons Lorecast channel on the robots radio network discord, uh, someone, uh, was asking if, uh, if it, if D and D is able to be played by, you know, solo, if, if, if you, if you can't find a group or, uh, you know, wherever you may, wherever you may live, or if for whatever, for whatever reason, maybe you're going on vacation and you want to, you want, you, you still want to play, you still want to get your D and D fix. I totally understand that. And as far as I can tell, there isn't uh, an official way, like, you know, wizards of the coast hasn't released any, anything official for solo play. However, you know, that's where the fans come in. And that's where the DMs Guild comes in. And so this week, I am suggesting the Solo Adventurer's Toolbox from 5e Solo Gamebooks. You can get the PDF for $14.99. They also have a print-on-demand version. Uh, it, it'll come in a soft, co- a soft cover, standard color book for $29.99. And on top of that, you also get the PDF. So you, def- you get a physical and a digital copy of it. But... Yeah, it says, sick of not being able to find a game, have a burning passion for D&D and everything it represents, but no way to indulge that passion in actual gameplay. 5e Solo Gamebooks presents the Solo Adventurer's Toolbox. This box is the result of many months' work and contains a complete system for generating detailed, immersive, solo 5e Dungeons & Dragons adventures. And by solo, we mean true solo without a dungeon master. There's no shortage of solo RPG tools out there, and many of them have a system agnostic focus. The Solo Adventures Toolbox focuses solely on 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, uh, when he asked that question about being able to play solo, you know, immediately hopped to DM, uh, DM's Guild to see what they had. And this seemed to be the most comprehensive of the options. You know, there's, there's no shortage, shortage of options when it comes to solo play. But this one seemed to be the most bang for your buck. It seemed to be, uh, you know, it's 18 chapters and it's, it's at $15. It's, it's a pretty um, fantastic deal. On top of that, if you enjoy it, they've also released a part two of it. So if you get this, like it, play through it, then you're able to get part two and just expand your solo play that much more. So there will be a link to this in the show notes if you're interested. And like I said, like I wouldn't recommend anything that I wouldn't play myself. So definitely check it out. And with that, let's go to the end of the show. 
Welcome to the end of the show. And when we last left Strahd, he was angry over his perceived loss of youth, his perceived squandered life that he spent uh, fighting almost three decades trying to reclaim a home that for a family that almost didn't exist anymore, his parents had passed away. And, uh, you know, he had another younger brother named Sturm, but there's very little there's very little information about this brother. Uh, the only other, the only other brother, the only other family he had was Sergey. Uh, but there's also jealousy concerning Sergey, because in Sergey, Strahd sees everything that Strahd is it, it can no longer be and no longer is. He sees someone who is young someone who is handsome, someone who still has his life ahead of him. Whereas Strahd feels that most of his life is already passed, is already behind him. And then there's also sadness because the woman that Strahd has fallen in love with, this young Barovian woman named Tatiana, has rejected him. Uh, not because of any other reason besides she's in love with Sergei. You know, Sergey is uh, a much more appropriate lover for her, uh, age-wise, constitution-wise. Is you know she just clicks with Sergey more, whereas she looks at Strahd more as as a father figure. So this anger, this jealousy, and the sadness combine into a volatile cocktail. Strahd travels to the Amber Temple and makes an unholy deal for regained youth and a mortal life, essentially. But it has to be signed in blood. And so on the day of Sergei and Tatiana's wedding, Strahd, in fact, seals the deal with blood, but not his own, but with his brothers. On Sergei's wedding night, Strahd murders his brother. And in doing so, taps into that power that's now available to him as a result of the deal he made. Thinking this newfound power would impress Tatiana and, and change her mind from being in love with Sergei to being in love with Strahd himself, uh, he then confesses his love to Tatiana. Um, but as you can imagine, she was not impressed. Uh, she was not uh, completely enamored of Strahd. In fact, she was terrified of him. And overcome with grief, she fled from him. She ran up to the highest point of Castle Ravenloft and threw herself off a balcony, plunging to the rocks below. Although no body was ever recovered. She was assumed dead, but they never found a body. At this point, uh, assassins sprung out. And in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this, uh, sibling rivalry and, and family drama. Um, there is, there's other, there's a, a political power play going on. The, uh, the Desilnias have hired assassins to kill Strahd. And it's at this point that they spring out and try to do their thing while the, the guards themselves are chasing after Strahd. He's shot down by arrows in the castle. 
uh, even so he didn't die because he now has that that you know mortal power flowing through him and he goes on to rule Barovia as a vampire. He claims to be the first vampire, although you know, in in terms of D and D, perhaps that may be true. Um, but that's that's what he says. So immediately afterwards, the mists of Ravenloft, you know, draw Strahd and Barovia to the plane, demi plane of dread, to the domain of dread, and that's what I mean when, you know, Barovia itself isn't uh, isn't the original the barovia that we see in, in curse of strahd isn't the original barovia it's it's rather a a dreadful copy of of strahd's original homeland uh the entire valley is swept into the shadow fell and it's turned into a prison from which strahd can never escape uh and so what the the denizens of barovia believe is um has something to do with that assassination attempt by the Desilnius, who uh, our patrons will recognize as the Dark Lords of Borca. The official story is that Strahd and Sergei, as well as Tatiana, were poisoned and killed by this rival family. So that's the quote-unquote official story. That's, you know, it's the cover-up story to hide the actual truth that Strahd is an immortal undead vampire. And so what becomes of Tatiana? Like I said, her body is never recovered. And as a result, Strahd believed that there's a chance that she's still alive. And part of the reason she, the part of the reason he believes this is because Tatiana's soul has become trapped in this newly formed domain of dread of Barovia. And this, uh, this soul is doomed to repeatedly incarn- incarnate itself as part of the dark powers punishment against Strahd. In fact, in Curse of Strahd, she is reincarnated as Irina Koliana. So Strahd is, is doomed to continue finding generation after generation, finding Tatiana, and yet not being able to win her over, not being able to make Tatiana fall in love with her, will fall in love with him. And so once every generation he will meet a woman that he believes to be Tatiana reincarnated. And he always tries to win her over and he always fails, you know? And so his, his greatest defeat is replayed over and over and over. And every single time the woman inevitably dies. And, you know, his curse is that, uh, that he is this, the, you know, the Lord of Barovia, but he can't do the one thing that he truly wants. And one interesting side note is because he is the ruler of Barovia, he is the absolute ruler, he can actually enter into any home that he wants. You know, uh, traditional vampire lore states that a vampire must be, you know, must be, uh, must be allowed in, must be uh, accepted into a household, must ask to come in and be accepted in for them to come into the house. Since Strahd technically owns everything in Barovia, like all the homes are his. He doesn't have to, you know, ask for entry. He doesn't have to ask permission to enter. So we know how Strahd, who Strahd was, you know, how he started, how he and how he came to be and who he is now. But you know, how what is he capable of? What when you come face to face with Strahd, what can you expect? Well, you can expect. Uh, the big bad to end all big bads. You know, uh, Strahd Von Zarovich is no punk. He's no slouch. He's no pushover. 
and he will likely be one of the toughest fights you will ever catch in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, he, his armor class isn't, isn't all, you know, isn't absurd. It's only a 16 uh, and his hit points uh, are 17 D8 plus 68. So uh, the uh, Curse of Strahd module suggests 144. Again, nothing absurd, but it's everything that he can do that will make him that much harder to hit one and that and almost impossible to kill. The least of which uh, is, is not regeneration. So it says Strahd regains 20 hit points at the start of his turn if he has at least one hit point and isn't in running water or sunlight. If he takes radiant damage or damage from holy water, this trait doesn't function at the start of his next turn. So if at any point in, in the turn order he takes radiant damage or damage from holy water, then he will not be able to regain those 20 hit points at the start of his next turn. So your strategy would have to be you, someone, one of the party members has to, has to hit with radiant damage or damage with holy water. Another one of his uh, tricks is Shape Changer. If Strahd isn't in running water or sunlight, he can use his action to polymorph into a tiny bat, a medium wolf, or a medium cloud of mist, or back into his true form. While in bat or wolf form, he can't speak, but while he is in bat form, he has a flying speed of 30 feet. In wolf form, his uh, walking speed increases to 40 feet. His other stats, other than his size and speed, are unchanged. So, so rather than taking on the stat block of the bat or the wolf, he actually keeps his own stat block. Uh, while in mist form, he can't take any actions, speak, or manipulate objects. He is weightless, has a flying speed of 20 feet, can hover, and can enter a hostile creature's space and stop there. In addition, if air can pass through a space, the mist can do so without squeezing, and he, uh, and he can, but he cannot pass through water. Uh, also, while he is in mist form, he has advantage on strength, dexterity, and constitution saving throws, and he is immune to all non-magical damage, except the damage he takes from sunlight. On top of all this, uh, he's a ninth level spellcaster. Uh, his spellcasting ability is intelligence, his spell save DC is 18, and he has a plus 10 to hit with all spell attacks. Uh, the wizard spells that he has prepared, cantrips are Mage Hand, Prestidigitation, Ray of Frost, first level spells of which he has four slots to expend, Comprehend Languages, Fog Cloud, and Sleep. The second level spells that he has at his disposal, which, uh, which he has three slots to spend, Detect Thoughts, Gust of Wind, Mirror Image, third level spells, three slots again, Animate Dead, Fireball, Non-Detection, Fourth level, three slots again, light, greater invisibility, and polymorph. And one slot at fifth level, he has animate objects and scrying. And that's just sort of features that he has. This doesn't even include his attacks, his actions, his attack actions that he has, which uh, he can make uh, two attacks. Um, he has unarmed strike, bite, charm, and also children of the night. Now, uh, he has two attacks, but bite, he can only bite once. So you can either do like two unarmed strikes, he can do an unarmed strike and a bite, or he can uh, do an unarmed strike and a charm, you know, that, that sort of um, mixture of, 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 his, of his actions, of his attacks. 
So his unarmed strike is plus nine to hit. It is a 1d8 plus floor blood, uh, bludgeoning damage, uh, plus a 4d6 necrotic damage. If uh, the target is a creature, Strahd can then grapple it, which uh, the creature can escape using a DC 18 uh, instead of dealing the bludgeoning damage. So he can, instead of doing bludgeoning damage, he can actually grapple the creature. And once the creature is grappled, at that point, Strahd can then bite it, bite the creature. Uh, the, the bite is a plus 9-2 hit. It has to be either a willing creature, which obviously you know, one of your player characters probably won't be willing uh, incapacitated or somewhat restrained or being grappled by Strahd at the time. The hit is a uh, 1d6 or the damage is 1d6 plus four piercing damage plus 3d6 necrotic damage. And it says that the target's hit point maximum is reduced by an amount equal to the necrotic damage taken and Strahd regains hit points equal to that amount. That reduction lasts until the target finishes a long rest. So if your target if your player character gets bitten by Strahd and takes, uh, let's say, 13 points of necrotic damage, your maximum hit point total lowers by 13 until you take a long rest, which might not seem like a lot, but if you're in the nitty gritty of it and you're in, you know, it's, it's going to be a while before you take a long rest, you know, not being able to heal that additional 13 points might be the difference between surviving and dying. It also says that if uh, that the target dies if its hit point maximum is reduced to zero. A humanoid slain in this way and then buried in the ground rises the following night as a vampire spawn under Strahd's control. So if that happens and then your character dies, once you're buried, you come back the next night as a vampire spawn that Strahd could then control, which would definitely make uh, for an interesting encounter having to fight your erstwhile uh, companion from uh, from your last battle. Uh, in addition to the unarmed strike and bite, Strahd can also charm. Uh, targets one humanoid he can see within 30 feet of him. If the target can see Strahd, the target must succeed on a DC 17 wisdom saving throw against this magic or be charmed. Now, this charm target regards Strahd as a trusted friend to be heeded and protected. The target isn't under Strahd's control, but it takes Strahd's requests and actions in the most favorable way and lets Strahd bite it. So that again, it says in the in the bite text that the creature has to be willing. If you are charmed, you are willing to be bitten by Strahd. Each time Strahd or his companions do anything harmful to the target, it can repeat the saving throw, ending the effect on itself, ending the effect on itself on a success. Otherwise, the effect lasts for 24 hours or until Strahd is destroyed is on a different plane of existence other than the target, than the target, or uh, takes a bonus action to end the effect. And then he also has a feature known as uh, Children of the Night, which he can use once per day. Strahd magically calls 2d4 swarms of bats or swarms of rats, provided that the sun isn't up. While outdoors, Strahd can call 3d6 wolves instead. The called creatures arrive in 1d4 rounds, acting as allies of Strahd and obeying his spoken commands. The beasts remain for one hour or until Strahd dies or until he dismisses them as a bonus action. Now, this is something that uh, your DM is, will definitely use when they feel the tide of the battle starting to turn away from Strahd. You'll call in his children of the night, call in his bats or his rats or his wolves and use that to distract the player's while Strahd makes an escape. 
And of course, he wouldn't be a big bad without legendary actions, of which Strahd could take three. Of the, those, uh, the options that are available to him are to move, which Strahd can move up to his speed, which is, depending on his form, can be up to 40 feet without provoking opportunity attacks. So once again, this is a very defensive maneuver. This is a very strategic maneuver whenever your DM feels that, uh, that the battle is getting out of hand and it's time to, for Strahd to get out of there. Because Strahd is very shrewd and cunning and intelligent. He's, he's, he's always going to try to have the advantage. And if he feels the advantage starting to slip away from him, he's going to, you know, he's going to retreat. Also, unarmed strike. He can make one arm strike. And also bite, which costs two actions. Strahd can make one bite attack. Now, these can only be taken at the end of another creature's turn, and he regains spent legendary actions at the start of his turn. In addition to legendary actions, Strahd also has legendary resistance, which is three times a day. If Strahd fails a saving throw, he can choose to succeed instead. And more or less that, you know, all of, you know, Strahd is built to be one of the toughest characters in D&D. Uh, and it takes it with it, you know, a murder hobo hobby, uh, party isn't going to uh, more than likely be able to like kick a door and take Strahd down. You're going to need some strategy. Uh, you're going to need some radiant damage or some holy water damage because that's going to keep him from regenerating at the start. Of, you know, 20 hit points at the start of his turn. And so, if if you're able to do that, I you know it makes it that much simpler. Without that. I, I I find it hard. You know, I'll be hard pressed to uh, see a way to defeat Strahd without being able to inflict radiant and or holy water damage. So that is Strahd von Zarovich. Now let's go to the magic item of the week. Speaking of radiant damage, I have an item for you known as Zednen Raz Longsword of Light. And so while it just looks like your average longsword, it's actually a plus two longsword that does 1d8 magical damage, just regular damage, but also 3d6 radiant damage. Strike with the longsword, it does, you know, regular slashing damage as, you know, it, it's, it's magical, but it does the, you know, the usual 1d8 of damage, but it also does 3d6 of radiant damage which will definitely come in handy when you're fighting a character like, like Strahd or any other vampire. In addition to all that, this weapon has a secret attack that can, that can be employed once per day, hidden inside of the hilt and pummel of the sword is a wand. Not just any wand, but a wand of sunbeam. The wand can produce the sunbeam spell, which the text reads, a beam of brilliant light flashes out from your hand in a five foot wide, 60 foot line. Obviously this would come from the, the pummel of your sword. Each creature in the line must make a constitution saving throw. On a failed save, a creature takes 6d8 radiant damage and is blinded until your next turn. On a successful save, it takes half as much damage, damage and isn't blinded by the spell. Undead and oozes have disadvantage on this saving throw. So once per day, you're able to utilize the wand that's hidden inside of the hilt and pummel of Zed Nanrez Longsword of Light. With that weapon, 
I don't see how in with the other vampire hunting, uh, you know, weapons and kit that we've built for you throughout this Ravenloft series. I don't see how, how any, any of you, anyone can uh, fall victim to a vampire. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us for, thank you for listening to our Ravenloft series. It's been a lot of fun. We're already planning on, you know, what, uh, what campaign setting we're going to cover in depth next. Um, hint, it's probably going to be Spelljammer because I am convinced that is going to be the next classic campaign setting coming to 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. If you are interested in more of the content we produce, you can uh, listen to my other show, Fandom University, in which myself and my best friend, Sean, the writer of A Cosmology of Monsters, take uh, multi, multi-episode looks at different areas of like nerddom and sci-fi. Like we've done episodes on um, the Alien franchise. We've done Resident Evil. Right now, we're um, talking about Batman, and we are ending season one with a three-episode look at Silent Hill. So we're very excited about that. Definitely take uh, take a take a look at it if you can. And Crit has oh man, he's got Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit. He's got Cyberpunked. He's got Mythos Mysteries, Call of Cthulhu. He's got the Resident Evil lore cast. He's got the Legend of Zelda lore cast. He's got Delta Green, uh, SCP files. He's, you know, he's got Knights of Darkness. He's all over the place. If you're into uh, live play podcasts, you know, he's, got, he's definitely got something for you. So thank you again so much for listening. Uh, join us next week for our patron chat. And until then, eat, drink, be merry, and may all your 20s be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at Robots Radio.